Hello, welcome to the podcast that is called Project A+. My name is Hugh and I'm joined as always by... Hunter. Hunter, that's right. And what we'll be doing is just talking about our week in film watching. Uh, what two movies are we going to center our discussion around today? Well, we'll begin our discussion today by talking about the recently released sequel to the original Deadpool film, Deadpool 2. Before moving on to the already forgotten Ricky Gervais Netflix <laughs> original film, Special Correspondence. We should begin with uh, Deadpool 2 because that's the one that's uh, contemporary. So Deadpool 2 is the sequel to the first Deadpool movie, um, which stars Ryan Reynolds as a man in a red suit. He was, apparently looks like he's had some sort of radiation poisoning, and he was also like apparently immortal. Is also aware that he's in the movie. Uh, that's kind of the central hook of Deadpool, the franchise, is that Deadpool knows that he's Deadpool. He knows that he's in a comic book or a movie. Before we jump straight into the uh, merits or lack thereof of the film, uh, it's probably worth noting that it's it's essentially the same creative team who wrote the original film with the addition of Ryan Reynolds. And the original director, Tim Miller, uh, was replaced with David Leitch of the John Wick movies. Which I will admit, initially made me excited for this movie. It's probably worth talking a little bit about what we thought of the first film. So you thought it was relatively mediocre. Yeah, I just, again, I I, I literally don't don't remember it at all. I don't remember it that well, and I'm not sure I trust my original judgment now that I've seen Deadpool 2. It's made me uh, look at the first one with suspicion. <laughs> You've taken down your Deadpool poster. I remember at the time when I saw it, I wasn't expecting it to be particularly good because I'm not a particular fan of what the character became in the Marvel Universe. But I was surprised enough that it had some decent gags in the film to the extent where the overall experience of watching it was... More positive than negative. I, I literally don't remember what my reaction to it was or anything. Like it just it just erased my, itself from my brain. Anyway, so when I went to see this film, I didn't particularly wish to see it, but I thought, okay, maybe it's going to have a, f- a few decent jokes in it that will carry me through the film. You'll feel good about spending $14 on a movie ticket. The actual figure was $12. Oh, I'm sorry, I misremembered. So this is definitely not a film, even though I was like you know mildly positive about the first film. It's definitely not a film I would have paid to see if we weren't talking about it on this podcast. I probably would have seen it, but that's because I I am a broken person. But you've also got a movie pass. That's true. So it doesn't. So I probably really wouldn't have paid to have see any it, financial yeah. impact. Yeah, no real extra out of pocket expense than what you would have otherwise incurred. Whereas I I live in a country that doesn't have this bizarre movie pass thing that's bankrupting itself. Don't don't curse it. Um, so the way I see films to be fiscally responsible in this economic uh, climate <laughs> is to make sure I, I select films to watch on a cheap day at the cinema. But the cheapest cinema has a day in which up until 4pm you can see films for $7 Australian, which is like, you know, 5 bucks US or something like that. That's not bad. It's not bad. However, in order for me to take advantage of that, I do need to travel by train which incurs like another $8 for like a day, a daily what? pass. Why don't you have like a monthly pass? Because I don't go out enough to justify it. So there's another cheap day that was within walking distance, so I didn't have to incur the public transport fare, but charged $12. 
Uh, so you did it. <laughs> so you made it to the theater. I made it to the theater. <laughs> you walked to the theater. And how did you pay for a ticket? Did you talk to someone or did you just go to the automated machines? So in this particular cinema, they don't have those machines that you can buy at the premises. And I didn't want to walk up to a real person and say I'd like a ticket for Deadpool 2. But also partially I wanted to make sure like I wasn't wasting my time and there were seats available. So I did it online. What time was it when you did this? I think I saw it. Uh, it was 1.50 p.m was the session I saw on a weekday. So there's no one there besides like alcoholics and unemployed people. And I fulfill both categories. <laughs> Were you drunk when you saw this? Unfortunately not. I wish I was. Would it would have made it better? Would it just made it like longer? Well, if I fell, if I got so drunk, I just passed out. Yeah, but then you'd have to see it again. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Yeah, you would. <laughs> that counts. If I made it to the cinema and I paid for it, whatever happens, it counts. No, 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 that's bullshit. I would make you watch it again. I wouldn't tell you I missed it. <laughs> yeah, you would. I'd, I'd mention something at the end and we discuss the plot. We talk about the, we go so deep into these films, Hugh. <laughs> Actually, honestly, because I was reticent about seeing it, I was flirting with the idea of not seeing it and seeing if I could fake my way through the podcast. I did I did consider walking out, so I did too actually, but I, I I don't do that. No, nor do I. I. I'm more I would be more willing to now that I have movie pass than if I was paying for a ticket. Wouldn't you be less willing if you're paying for the ticket because you're like you've invested something? No, that's what I meant. First. That's what I meant. Yeah, okay. I just said it wrong. <laughs> Cause I have a job. <laughs> Alright, so now you're in the theater. Did you have any snacks? No. Mm. I got um Do you know what sour patch kids are? Yeah, I do. I eat those because they don't have gelatin in them. What flavor? I like the watermelon one. Uh, they're okay, but I like tro- I like the tropical ones the best. Right. Great. That figures. Why is it bigger? I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, but yeah, good tropical sour patch kids. Very tasty stuff. They made the movie more tolerable. Now, when you're eating eating snacks in a film, mm. do you consume them during the advertisements before the film? Of course. Or do you save them? I do then... both. Okay. Like, you, do you pace yourself so you want to have some left for the film? It depends on what I'm eating. Because, like, Sour Patch Kids, you can only get a couple of them before you want to stop eating them, right? So, in that case, it's it's not that hard to pace yourself. Something with popcorn, I'll try to wait till I'm actually watching the movie. Yeah, I do that too. Like, delayed gratification. Even though then you're suddenly conscious of, like, the chewing noises. Okay, you're sitting in the cinema. You, which cinema did you see it in? I saw it at a Regal, which is one of the big chains, uh, on 34th Street, which I chose because it was near my work, because I saw this movie very early in the morning, at 10.30. And then, uh, later in the day, I had a splitting headache, which I can only assume is big because I woke up so early to get see Deadpool in the morning. Or it was something to do with the film itself that induced the headache. No, no, the movie was great. Oh, you liked it too? I loved it. Yeah, it's my favorite movie of all time. Actually, I got a Deadpool tattoo. It's all over my face. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got a Deadpool tattoo too. Sorry, a Deadpool 2 tattoo. I got two Deadpool tattoos. And a Deadpool 2 tattoo? 2 towel? What? I don't know what I'm saying. It's a bad joke. Staying in. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh god, Deadpool 2. Um, okay, so. Uh, we we introduced the film a little bit earlier, so do we want to go to that or not? Reintroduce the film and go back to 
where we were, how we made the decision of which cinema to see it at. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll end the discussion of Deadpool with another an- anecdote about the cinema, so remind me. Okay, so um, so Deadpool 2, the movie, the motion picture Deadpool 2. Yeah. Sequel to... Deadpool 1. <laughs> That's what it's called, right? It was Deadpool. Yeah, it's like, De- Deadpool 1. It's like the Xbox one. Do you, get, do you understand what that is? Xbox? What's that? Uh, do you know what video games are? I remember the TV show Sexbox. <laughs> oh, God. Did you watch that? No, I did not watch Sexbox. It sounds like something that you would watch, though. That was like a sleazy Schrodinger's cat TV show. They could be having sex and not having sex at the same time until I opened the box. This is actually a good scientific principle that it was based on. It was a very scientifically rigorous show. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Deadpool 2. What is this movie about? Following on from the first film, he's in a relationship with uh, uh, Vanessa. Yes, and he's become a uh, guy who kills bad guys for money. Which, I will say, led to the uh, only other part of the movie I somewhat enjoyed. Which is there's a single like take, long shot, uh, not single take, but like a long singular shot, like pullback of Deadpool murdering people. And I was like, that probably took a lot of coordination. That's kind of impressive. Which I guess is a thing that uh, Leach is bringing to, to the yeah. franchise. Yeah, what did you think of that shot? And I, I will admit, it was totally ruined by the fact that Ryan Reynolds is just talking over the entire thing in voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is so bad, I hate this. Um, anyway, this movie the movie opens with Deadpool attempting suicide. And it cuts back and reveals that his wife has been killed. Are they married? No, just just a girlfriend. But they're talking about, you know, having kids and stuff like that. He feels kind of responsible for the death because not only are they thugs who are after him, not her, um, but he, like, throws a butter knife and it uh, changes the trajectory of a bullet or something. Is that what happened? I didn't, I didn't, like... I didn't get that either. I read this later. Yeah, I read a review that suggested that that happened and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, who knows? It didn't. It wasn't conveyed very clearly if that's what it was supposed to be. It just seemed to be that he tries to stop a villain and um, a, a stray bullet hits Vanessa, and she dies. She dies. Ironically, ironically, they were trying to make life by getting her pregnant, but instead they made death. A lot of people commented on the fact that they're tired of the trope of a dead girlfriend or wife being used as a function to inspire the male protagonist, you know, to whatever. And there's also a, a concept of fridging a female character, essentially putting her on ice for long stretches of the film. No, no that's, not, that's not what that means. I don't know what it means then. You tell me. I saw the term and I made up my own meaning. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, not, it's not, you're not necessarily off, but it's, um, it refers to a arc in, I think, Green Lantern in the 80s. Where Green Lantern's girlfriend got uh, gets actually put into a fridge, murdered and put into a fridge, and it's sort of just like the trope of uh, female characters in comic books being killed off to further men's emotional stories. Yeah. So it's so it's what I just described before mentioning fridging. Yeah, yeah, pretty okay. much. Fridging sounds like <laughs> something else. <laughs> Yours is kind of silly. I mean, but. I don't. I, I have to. I have to like question your uh, the logic. It's not like there's ice in refrigerator. So ice is in in the freezer. 
Yeah, but the freezer's it's a nice part of a refrigerator. Yeah, but you don't say look. Yo, 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 wait. If I say put this in the refrigerator, okay, and you put it in the freezer, that's not right. No, but that's being that's being specific within the context of the whole refrigerator unit, right? So it's common to say if you put something in the fridge, you're putting it in the non-freezer section. Yeah. That's... And if you need to specify something goes in the freezer, you say the word freezer. Yeah. All right, that's common terminology for the use of the entire unit of the refrigerator. You don't. If you say like, "Can you take my fridge to the garden?" Yes. You're taking the whole unit, which includes the freezer. Fine, fine, fine. But still, <laughs> I still think there's. There's furious logic behind your understanding of that. Well, given that the term fridging is being taken for something else, then I can coin the term freezer in for when a woman gets put on ice for long stretches of the narrative only to return at a convenient moment for the male protagonist. Like when she's frozen? Yeah, like a carbonite thing. <laughs> so, so like it's, so um, you would call Han Solo the first, <laughs> the first fridging? Yeah. I mean, it lasts all of the gap between <laughs> the two films, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this will be great setup for our discussion next week of the movie Solo. Part of me is like, I don't even want to watch that. <laughs> really? We, yeah, but I'll, I will watch it, I guess. God, Hugh. It's like, it's like you don't even like Star Wars. I have absolutely no desire for them to keep making spin-offs of the franchise. You're just a snob. I mean, Rogue One was pretty bad, though. I'll say. Rogue One was terrible. Worst Star Wars movie by far. Anyway. So we're not talking about, we're talking about a movie that's worse than Rogue One, which is Deadpool 2. Um, we need to articulate why we think this is bad, okay. but anyway, we'll, yeah, so we, we, we just, we we just finished talking about the setup. So no, we, did, we didn't really, I mean... We need to talk about the, the basic yeah. movement of the plot. So yeah. he's suicidal after his uh, girlfriend has been killed. He tries to kill himself. Obviously, it doesn't work because he's immortal. He's got this regenerative he- healing business. Um, so Colossus finds his uh, various constituent parts and puts him together in a sack and uh, he recovers himself and regrows his body or whatever. Colossus tries to get him back on track and give him a purpose. Uh, they go along to some sort of incident that's happening with a rogue mutant outside some sort of rehabilitation center. So the young mutant is played by Julian Dennison, who was known for being in Hunt for the Wilder People, um, starring alongside Sam Neill. And he plays a mutant called Firefist, as he dubs himself. And uh, it's strongly implied that he's being mistreated by the staff there. Implied by via flashback. <laughs> so just sort of, I don't know... It's not really a duplication. Well, that the flashback comes later, but at this point, at this point, it's kind of suggested that yeah. it's weird. Uh, uh, Deadpool pieces it together and decides to just murder one of them. So, because the the kid has um, done all this damage and Deadpool has just murdered someone, both of them get imprisoned and taken to this mutant camp where they have a, a neck restraint that suppresses their mutant powers, which is very convenient. Yeah. A plot device. <laughs> That's the kind of joke that would be featured in the movie uh, Deadpool 2. <laughs> yep. So we can't criticize it because it already admits to it itself. When he says, oh, could have used that in Act 1. Can I, can I talk about my least favorite joke of the entire movie? Mm. So there's some part where I don't remember the context I didn't write it down, but someone says something that's like lazy writing, right? You need to be more specific. I'm sorry. I really don't remember what the, the context of Do you remember it? 
Well, lazy writing could be any part of the <laughs> I really don't remember. It was just like something like, oh, you know, we have to do something or whatever. Who cares? But then Deadpool tur- turns to the camera and goes, wow, that's some lazy writing, huh? Like, why don't you, why don't you just make good writing? God damn it. What the fuck? <laughs> like, fuck off. But lazy writing plus a reference to it being lazy writing equals good writing. Surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Deadpool formula. So they get taken to this prison, which bafflingly is content to have a 14-year-old boy intermingle with hardened male adult criminals. It's bizarre. But what I, like, I guess there's two, because like, there's no women there, so I guess there has to be two of them, right? What do you, what do you think the women, women's jail is called? Because this one's called the Icebox. What do you think the uh, women's is called? The Fridge Box. Oh, nice. <laughs> but that was... That was a good. That was a good setup, and because uh, you know what he didn't say, that he said it. So that was really good. Yeah, it was an A plus. So this introduces the next section of the plot, in which a soldier from the future, from an apocalyptic future, essentially Terminator, has traveled back into the past to kill the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People, before he turns into a, an evil guy who kills. Cable's family. I don't know, like, why, why does it have to be a dystopian future for this to happen? Like, he could have just done it. Like, there's no, like, scene where he's like, and then he was elected president, you know? It was just like, I guess he just murders people sometimes. Like, there's no, uh, it doesn't really go into the world at all. So you're kind of just like, what, why, what, what's the, the composition of the f- future society at all? Like, why? That's a good point, because, because Cable's motivation, I guess, in this case, is specific to his family being murdered. But he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't seem to care about the like the future at all. It's just yeah. But he, he's not. He's not going back to stop the future being an apocalyptic wasteland. He just wants to stop his family from being murdered by the hunt from the wilder people kid. Yeah, which is different than it is in the comics. I think I don't know much about Cable to be honest. Yeah, I've never read anything with him in it. Really. So it's kind of a mixture of Terminator and Looper in a way, which which was also I guess Terminator in its own. You know, it's funny, ironic, the. Uh... Guy who directed the first Deadpool movie is directing the next Terminator film. Well, there you go. Yeah. So they wanted to rip it off before it come out, I guess. The only like visual shot that I enjoyed in the film was one of those silly future apocalyptic scenes with Cable in an apartment. Very generic. It was it was generic, but I kind of enjoyed the eighties purple aesthetic that it uh, achieved in at least one of the shots. It didn't make an impression on me at all. So then we, yeah, we introduce Cable, who's kind of introduced as an antagonist to Deadpool, but becomes uh, his best friend. His best friend, as the film progresses. Deadpool wants to save the kid from becoming this, whereas Cable just wants to kill him. I don't know, this maybe isn't the best uh, place to discuss this, but uh, I I never, it's, it's really hard for me to buy the morality of films that are like, but what if... What, could you go back in time and kill one person and save millions of people? Because it's like, yeah, of course. What are you talking about? Like, it's just a stupid moral dilemma. I don't know. I just don't, I don't get it. Like, if this kid dies and then it's like, it stops the world from any, like, of course he's going to kill the kid. Like, I'm sorry. Like, but, uh, that's why it sort of makes it a hollow, uh, conflict because it's not like Cable's killing him to save the future. He's just killing him to his personal vantage which is like even weirder actually um so yeah that's the the general plot uh, and in the course of the plot deadpool assembles a team which he calls x-force which is where deadpool originally uh came from and cable as well and it includes 
Rob Delaney and Brad Pitt. And uh, please, their character names, their powers. This is what people care about. Yeah, but anyway, so it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. Domino, that's the important one. Um, so Domino was played by Zazie Beetz, uh, probably best known for her role in Atlanta. And obviously the, her character doesn't really have anything to do in this film in terms of the material as written. And I think she does pretty well with it though. I think. She makes the biggest impression of the people that are introduced in this film. I would say. Uh, so we just explained the general plot uh, progression, such as it is. It didn't feel like a especially compelling plot. No, it's very episodic. Yeah, it is. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's this thing that's really driving the whole film towards. It feels like three separate plots. They sort of are like, oh, let's just stitch these together, and none of them are good. <laughs> but like, let's talk overall about what the main problems with this film are. Well, uh, there's a really there's one really big problem uh, is that uh, the movie is actually it's it's built as a comedy. If you look on the Wikipedia page, I think it says superhero comedy uh and actually the movie it, it turns out is is not funny at all <laughs> even like a little bit so the absence of any good jokes is the film's biggest crime i think it could have got away with its flabbiness and shabbiness in terms of its general construction and some of the the meta stuff it's going for if there were a few jokes that landed along the way no i totally agree like i would have been happy to forgive its other shortcomings if, if it uh, managed to make me laugh once, <laughs> maybe. And I think the problem here, and uh, I, I would like to review re-review the first film, but I don't want to see it again. But I just want to see if, if I was mistaken about any of the jokes being any good, just because the, the same people wrote this film. But it feels to me like the wildly positive reception that the first Deadpool received has poisoned the writer's room here. It feels like they're aware of the reputation that it, that it got for what it did in the first film. And they're like, hey, we know what we're doing now. We can be self-conscious about that. Yeah, but, but the, instead of like um, coming up with new ways to do this, it just it feels content of doing the exact same ways, but maybe just like slightly different. It repeats like whole actual jokes from the first film. So the first film had a, had a decent enough joke about the fact that when they go to the X-Men mansion, only minor characters are ever shown and they make a joke about that's for budgetary reasons. Not a great joke, but not a bad joke for the first film, right? Because it was a low budget film, right? And this film literally just repeats it again. Yeah, it does. And adds and tries to maybe one up it by having a brief shot of the rest of the X-Men in a room that they close the door on. And it's not just like a one second like callback to it. They riff on it for a, for a few lines. <laughs> but that, that that sort of carries through the rest of the movie too. Like there's the extended sequence where Deadpool loses his legs and uh, has to regrow them, and they turn into uh, baby legs. Which everyone, every every character in the movie reacts like it's the most disgusting thing that they've ever seen in their entire lives. And I think they had a joke about that in the first film, right? No, but they arms. they do. There's a sequence where his arm gets cut off and then it regrows, and it and it's like, oh, look how disgusting this is. The main problem to me like every joke is delivered as if someone is nudging you in the ribs going huh did you did you see that joke huh totally that was a reference to this uh, uh. do you remember the first movie the nadir of the jokes um was very much aimed at its uh i guess target audience who was a fan of the comics and have some knowledge of of its uh original life as a, as a comic character and that's when deadpool is talking about domino's special power being luck and he makes a throwaway reference which is 
wow, that sounds like a dumb idea that someone came up with who can't draw feet. Yes. Which is a reference to uh, Deadpool's co-creator, Rob Liefeld. Who famously can't draw feet. (laughs) Famously or infamously can't draw feet. Which, when you look at the actual construction of a joke, it's not a joke. No, it's just, it's predicated on the audience being like, I, I know this thing, and I'm thinking about this thing that I already know about, and that's what I find, I guess, funny. But this movie is basically just like a scary movie, you know? Like, it's just, it's just, let's yeah, pack this full of terrible, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, the movie scary movie. Oh, right, right. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I also thought, I thought it was less good than those movies, because, <laughs> so these movies are good at all. In fact, they're terrible. But uh, at least they don't try to make you feel anything, which this movie really wants you to feel stuff, which I thought was, like, offensively annoying. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of respect it more, even though I didn't enjoy its its tone, even when it's being, like, anti-film or whatever. But I, I respect it more if it went all out and didn't also try and have some emotional beats in there as well. well there's, like, there's like long sections that just are joke-free. <laughs> You're just supposed to be, like... Ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel the emotions of the the man in the red suit, who minutes later was telling me that I was just watching a movie and then huge slow motion, and it's like, what? what how is this to take this like seriously as an emotional storyline? Like, who cares? Like, fuck you. And uh, actually, I'll say the uh, Nadir for me. Besides that earlier joke, was a uh, there's a in in the uh, aforementioned sequence where Deadpool regrows their their legs. There's a uh, reference to the movie Basic Instinct, which like whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. just do it. Like, that's fine. I don't care. But they ha- they have the gall to be like, oh, he's doing basic instinct. Like, in the movie, like, they say that. That's like a line of dialogue. And it's like, why do you have to... T- I, 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 if, I, if I'm going to laugh at it at all, it's because I'm getting the reference to it. To be, you know, like, why are you... <laughs> I don't understand. Like, why was that line of dialogue in there? <laughs> to give me an aneurysm, apparently. <laughs> ah. Every critic who gave it a good review was a bad person. You'll be pleased to know that uh, the patron saint of this podcast, Glenn Weldon, the, p- the person who will one day recommend our podcast on his podcast, is pretty spot on in his review of it. You can tell that it's kind of a terrible movie that's bad. Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, it's really unfunny. It is aggressively unfunny. But I will say, as compa- compared to the other movie that we that we watched for tonight, there are at least parts where I was like, this is making it a joke, even if I don't find it to be funny at all, where a special correspondence, oftentimes I was like, what am I supposed to laugh at here? What is supposed to be funny? I forgot I even saw that until we started recording today. <laughs> That's so funny. What did you think of the, the stuff at the end of Deadpool where he travels back in time to undo everything? I wish he had traveled back in time so he could stop me from watching the shitty movie. <laughs> Wait, okay, I've got, I've got, to, I got to bring up the uh, one laugh that I have. I'll see if you agree with it. Probably not, because he said he didn't laugh at all. But there's a uh, when they're in the the mutant prison, uh, there's a sequence where uh, uh, Fire Fist is trying to get Deadpool's attention, and the actor makes a really funny face gesture, which I thought was. Amusing. I don't even remember that. So <laughs> can't, can't really. Well, there you go. The one of the better comic sequences, and I, I use the term relatively speaking. <laughs> the most relatively anything could possibly be. He assembles uh, an X Force team, and then they're essentially dispatched off through a series of haphazard accidents in the next 
sequence. I can see that being a funny joke, right? They just sort of make it like the ways in which they die are not like that funny. It, I mean, it owes a lot to like the, the Zoolander thing. Yes, it in, does. In which the male models are dispersed in a couple. Which is, which is a funny scene. <laughs> and this seems to be going for a similar thing, but with you know diminishing returns. But that that had the potential to be one of the better parts of this film. Now, the one thing I wanted to say about the film when I was looking into the background of its creation discovered that a stuntwoman for the character of, of Domino actually died performing a motorcycle stunt in this film, which is nothing to make light of. And um, the stuntwoman, jo- uh, Joy Harris, was the first female African-American professional stunt road racer, was not actually a, a seasoned stunt performer, and this was her first role as a, as a stunt performer. And uh, there was a more experienced uh, person available to do the stunt, but she was white. Oh, God. Um, so they opted to use uh, Harris. Um, and I don't mean to make light of it, but imagine dying making <laughs> Deadpool 2. Imagine that's that's your dying project. Oh, man. It's like uh, it's like uh, Transformers, uh, the motion picture for Orson Welles. But that, like, he didn't die, like, recording the voiceover, like, he's stripped and impaled on a boom. So the central conflict is, um, the reason that, uh, Fire Fist turns bad is that he murders the, uh, sort of pedophilic, I guess not necessarily confirmed, but at least abusive headmaster of this, uh, mutant correction school thing that he's in, like, you know, like an orphanage, mutant orphanage, I guess. That's sort of like the, uh, what if Charles Xavier was a pedophile? basically the, the press of it <laughs> and that apparent the the act of killing of getting retribution on this guy apparently gives him a taste for murder so then he's happy to indiscriminately murder people suddenly after that i guess yes that's the that's the premise and that's why he kills cables finally uh but the movie sort of uh i guess undermines this by being like by a having deadpool and cable murder like hundreds of people <laughs> During, there's a scene where they, like, are chasing a car, and you have to assume there's, like, some pedestrian people who die, you know? Why is it okay that they kill people, but it's not okay that he kills people? Or, like, what, what's the... I don't know. Especially it's, since he's more than justified. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, is it like, oh, you shouldn't get revenge on the people who abuse you? Like, that seems to be the, the crux of it. Like, and then, but the, the, the thing that really undermines this movie's, like, moral message is that, like, it kills him, like, immediately after they prevent him, the, the, the kid from killing him, so, so whatever. I, I, I feel like I'm surprised, because, like, at least Marvel tends to have, like, a pretty consistent record of, at least, like, you know, like, watchable, okay movies, right? How did this one escape from being that? I don't know if I'll argue it for, like, factory-produced movies, but, like, if this is the alternative, like, if this is the one with, like, personality, like, I don't want to watch anything but, like, like standardized, like, rote garbage, honestly. I, I, and again, my, my memory could be deceiving me. But I believe the first film had a better balance between some emotional beats and the general anarchic tone of his character. Like, it didn't feel like there was this, you know, impossible conflict between them like it does in this film. Um, but again, I can't really remember what the emotional beats were in the first Deadpool film, if there were any. But I guess there, were, there must have been something. But I think the main reason why that worked and this doesn't, which I kind of touched, touched on, the fact that the reputation has poisoned them. Um, the first film was, to some extent, a gamble, right? Yes, it was. Surely, surely they would have hoped 
to have launched a franchise with it, but they would have been known that this may be the only Deadpool film they ever get to make. Yeah, so there's there's a sense of like desperation that makes it feel at least like it's t- taking a risk at least. So this movie's taking no risks whatsoever. And the anecdote was the only reason the first film even got made was the leaking of the footage. Which is hilarious. Whereas this one is like, oh, you love Deadpool one. Well, you're gonna love this too. <laughs> well, you're gonna watch the. You're gonna love this movie. That's the first movie, but. That is good. I have this similar feeling, although not as extreme, to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Actually, I thought I thought Guardians of the Galaxy Two was pretty good. What was the uh, the uh, funny thing that happened to you in the theater? The only funny thing that happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Within the confines of the theater that day, uh, was that after the film, um, I was contemplating, obviously walking suicide to my house to commit suicide, as you rightly anticipated. So, so I was like, you know, you know, when you need to go to the toilet and I'm talking about, uh, doing a number, number one, you know, that feeling where you're not desperate, but you're like, well, yeah, I could do it. You know, I could go while I'm here, while there's a, an available toilet, may as well get out of the way. And then I can walk home in, in complete comfort. Right. Cause it's about a 15 minute walk. You don't want that. To did you, be, did you piss yourself? No, no. So it wasn't that desperate. What I'm saying is it's one of those just, oh, you know, while I'm here, yeah, I get may you. as well in, enjoy the restrooms <laughs> as it were. But I went in there and there was, uh, the cubicles were taken. That's my favorite choice. I don't know about you, but if you go, if I go to a public toilet, I will go to a cubicle, regardless of the business I will be engaging in. Uh, I used to, I used to be totally unable to use like public bathrooms, uh, without going to a, a stall, but yeah, I'm a stall guy. Now I'm like, fine. Now I just, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go use the bathroom out of here. So, so with me, it depends. If there's anyone else in there and there's a stall available, I will use a stall. If it's completely em- empty and I'm feeling adventurous, you know, I might use the urinals. So, I, so in this case, the stalls were, were occupied. So I went up to the urinals and I was like, well, I may as well use it. There's a couple of people around. So I make preparations to uh, commence proceedings. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready to go, right? If you get my drift. You're ready to get it all out. It's all out. And when I'm not uh, that keyed up to go, right, when, it, when there's going to be a little wait before the flow begins, uh-huh. right, it's not desperate where you, you can just stand there and it comes out. There's a, there's a little bit of a buildup that needs to happen. Uh, yes, I understand. Um, that's when I'm most uh, psychologically vulnerable <laughs> to the business that is known as uh, cock shyness, which I, I, I don't know if that's terminology that translates. Jesus Christ. But it's a common confliction. And sometimes I'm fine, but sometimes I'm not, right? And especially if, if I don't need to go that badly. And this time it, it hit me, right? And I couldn't go. Mm. I just put everything back in, washed my hands, and <laughs> left. So literally oh all I God. did in the bathroom that day was walk into a, a male restroom, take my penis <laughs> out, put it back in, wash my hands, and leave. <laughs> I agree that was funnier than Deadpool 2. That was better than Deadpool 2. <laughs> and that's not, not the first time I've done that. That's happened a few times over the course of my life. Yeah, oh my god. No, I've done that too when I was younger. But now I'm a, I'm a man, goddammit. Anyway, so shall we move on to... Uh, uh, apparently we saw a movie called Special Correspondence. Yeah, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> I wrote notes about it. Apparently there's so Ricky Gervais and Eric Vanna? So this was a uh, Netflix original film, which is always a sign of quality, as we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which was written, directed by, and starring Ricky Gervais. Who? Oh, the guy from uh, Derek? The guy from Derek, oh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. That's season four. I will go on record before we talk about this movie as saying I've consumed more than my fair share of Ricky Gervais content. You'd say you're a huge fan. I would say I was a huge fan at the time of the original Office, which I still think holds up quite well. Um, I was subsequently disappointed by extras. And then I think since, so since The Office, pretty much everything Ricky Gervais has done has been progressively worse. The only exception to that, which I don't mind and no one else ever talks about or seems to like, is uh, the movie Cemetery Junction, which he did with his um, Office co-creator, writer, director, Stephen Merchant, uh, which I thought was a, a solid British comedy of the sort of uh, Monty Python, not Monty Python, <laughs> full Monty ilk. Oh, God. And it, it and some of those are torture, and I thought this was, you know, reasonably done and had, had enough charm. Very forgettable, but I thought it was quite solid. Um, but yeah, everything else is trash. What about what about Ghost Town? Ghost Town's not terrible. But he didn't write that, right? Because yeah, he didn't he didn't make that. He's a terrible like leading person in it. <laughs> the invention of lying is one of his nadirs. <laughs> one of his many. He's absolute garbage. But that has that has a uh, famed uh uh <laughs> was it famed molester, famed masturbator Louis C.K. If I'm not mistaken, it certainly does. I think that was the first time I saw him. And you got hooked by him, and now you've, you're you're his biggest fan. Now I'm a lifer. Have you ever seen any of Ricky Gervais's stand-up specials? No. I Honestly, I don't think I've seen anything that he's been in besides this movie. But his stand-up is, is truly horrible. <laughs> now, I guess we're going to have to talk about a movie that neither of us watched. Or that we did watch, but apparently we watched. It's a remake of a 2009 french film the french film i don't think made it outside france or europe it's like one of those like popular comedies that it didn't look very good the french film i'm sure it was better than this film <laughs> probably yeah probably better than this movie <laughs> but lots of things are better than this it didn't look like it was like an amazing french classic that he was remaking this film stars ricky gervais as a sound engineer who works for a radio station and one of its star reporters is played by eric banner and they are dispatched to Ecuador to cover some sort of civil war that's going on there, some fictional civil war. However, poor old Ricky Gervais, who, whose wife has just left him, he accidentally throws out the passports that for some reason he's carrying of both him and Eric Banner. I don't know why he's got them both. Why? No, but this is a, this is a, one of the many logic problems that I had with the film, which is... Apparently, the office or the radio station they work for, for has their passports. For Which, some yeah, why would they, why why would they, they have that? <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't make any sense, but who cares? Yeah, so he mixes up some envelopes and throws out their passports. And because Eric Banner is apparently on thin ice with the radio station for his uh, roguish ways with getting to the bottom of the story and breaking the law in the process, he feels that if they go back and tell the truth, as Ricky Gervais initially suggests, that he'll be fired, which I don't think is the case because he could go back and say, the sound engineer threw out the passports. Nothing to do with me. No. They couldn't make a case for dismissing him on the basis of that. They, they do establish that he's like on his, you know, his like glass rope. Like he's probably going to get, like they're just looking for a justification to fire him. I mean, it's stupid, but like. There's still dismissal laws, unfair dismissal laws. So they wouldn't be able to do that. Well, I mean, Hugh, 
this this movie takes place in America, like a kleptocracy. Anyway, so so instead of fessing up to what's happened, Gervais gets the idea. What, what the hell's his character's name? If we can find it, do you know his character's name? Ah, uh, Ian Finch. Ian Finch. Uh, yeah, you could have said uh, literally anything, and I'd have been like, "Yep, that's right." <laughs> so, Ian. <laughs> our good our good buddy um, decides to utilize his expertise as a sound technician to fake dispatches from ecuador using generic jungle foley i guess mm. and gun noises and uh eric banner just improvising some stuff about what's going on with the civil war so nonsense about civil conflict yes which they do in a spanish restaurant above a spanish restaurant Owned by a couple, one of which is played by uh, America Ferreira. But uh, before we get much further into the film, but that's basically the premise of it. Did you like the way they established the bond between Ian and this Spanish couple? Uh, I don't remember how they did that. So, Because it's literally established in one line of dialogue. So it, it cuts to him being sad in the Spanish restaurant that we haven't seen at any previous point in the film. And he, within like two lines, says... You're like the closest thing I've got to family. And that establishes is this this bond that he has. With... Uh, Hugh, that's just economical storytelling. That's why they're okay with letting them stay. Without money. Without money, yeah. Um, so anyway, obviously their kooky scheme uh, eventually catches up to them and uh, they have to go to Ecuador for real, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who cares? What did you think of this uh, Netflix original? Uh, I thought it was uh, a comedy without jokes and without me laughing at all. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I thought it was boring and terrible and basically just a boring, miserable experience that I hated. Is this Deadpool 2 or Special Correspondence? It was, it was both, bro. No, the, the, there, there are different ways of being unfunny. Well, Special Correspondence has, is, is more like a dearth of jokes. And when the jokes happen, they're so, like, milk-toasted bland that you're not sure if you're supposed to laugh or if they even are jokes. Well, Deadpool 2 has a, a, a excess of terrible jokes. So it's kind of, kind of like that. Deadpool two wants to make sure that you understand how hilarious it is at every moment. Yes. Well, this movie seemed content in making you not laugh at all. <laughs> <laughs> like I honestly, I tweeted this at him, but I you don't. Did, you tweeted at Ricky Gervais. Yeah, I did. I don't know why he made this movie. Like, what was the motivation? I want to. <laughs> like, I want to see the tweet. I didn't see. I, that. All I said was, did "Why did you make this movie?" <laughs> I've been reading my feed every day. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> yeah. I didn't put it a gives job. It me purpose. It, it may not have... It, may, it, may, it, pro- it probably... Oh, my God. I can't speak right now for some reason. Oh, you didn't put the dot in front no, of No, I didn't. It was just a, a direct uh, reply, you know. So go to tweets and replies and it'll show up. Ah, uh, right. That's why. He did not answer, which is the same. The production values could be charitably described as non-prestige TV cinematography. <laughs> as... I would say, I would say, I would say, uh, the production values are about the same level as every other Netflix original production, yeah. which is to say, not existed apparently. Like their 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 simulacrum of of Ecuador is like insultingly bad, <laughs> and not not only because everyone in Ecuador seems to speak English, so, but not not just like speak English, like fluently understand English, like. It's so dumb. Oh my god. But obviously Mimesis is not the primary goal of special correspondence, but <laughs> <laughs> But uh this is probably I think this'll this'll get us uh, bring us to the point of the film. Or uh, maybe be a uh, a uh, 
a vein that we could talk about, which is um, I feel like this is this is one of my notes is that the uh, entire movie seems like uh, Ricky Trace like jerking himself off. And the way that I arrived at this uh, conclusion is that the, there's a speech that Eric Bedding is at the end of the film where he basically just is, like complimenting Ricky Gervais is <laughs> his character. Uh, and uh, also, additionally, the the entire film seems to me to be like a apology for Ricky Gervais singing podcasts. <laughs> so what I said before about the the way it uh, explains his bond to the Spanish couple, just with a line of dialogue that says they're the closest thing that I have to family. That type of characterization also extends to his character. Because um, at one point, um, Kelly McDonald, who is his co-worker... His character is ripped whole cloth from the 40-year-old version. So, so Kelly McDonald is his co-worker, and she secretly has some sort of affection for him, right? For un- unexplained reasons. And at one point in the film, she describes him as a kind soul. And yet... There's no evidence of him being a kind soul in, in any other part of the film. He doesn't come across that way naturally. He's got that kind of slightly grumpy Ricky Gervais <laughs> style about him. Yes. He doesn't do anything particularly generous to anyone. He gives that... He's, he, he does that... He picks up a piece of wood for the man that at the end. But that's it. I, well, he what? I don't even... What? <laughs> wood? No. <laughs> They've been kidnapped <laughs> in Ecuador. <laughs> And there's the old, like, peasant man he's been, like, uh, kidnapped as well. And Ricky Gervais picks up a piece of wood that he's dropped. I don't even remember that. <laughs> so there you go. Maybe, maybe you just were paying attention to you. Yeah, yeah. It needs a, it, it's a film that really warrants a, <laughs> Yeah, it, it really rewards multiple, a close read. <laughs> multiple viewings. The mise-en-scene is just so packed full of detail. Anyway. His directorial style. His charitable scout is flat. Essentially anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there doesn't seem to be like a unified, like the aesthetic seems to be, uh, I'm making a TV show, but yeah, there doesn't seem to be, it seems to have like they just set up the camera in like the most standard place they could possibly find to put it. Which would be okay. It was funny. If the <laughs> screenplay was so packed with jokes that you just needed to like capture yes. them in a rudimentary fashion and it would speak for itself. But, no. Did you laugh at all in this movie? No. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I know, we see if I noted that down. The only laughable thing in this movie is Eric Banner's accent. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I don't. I do not understand this. Right? Eric Banner's playing a, 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 I guess, a New York native. I'm assuming he was going for. Who? Uh, I said. I'm gonna. I'm to do my great joke about Eric Banner uh, here, which is that um, in the movie, his style of acting can only be described as uh, neck acting because he just moves his neck like sort of <laughs> back and forth a lot. Anyway. So he's been in Hollywood for some years at this point. Right for um over a decade, he escaped the the Australian sketch comedy ghetto a while ago, <laughs> and his accent is no better than it was when he first came to America, which I find quite concerning. I mean, accents are a tough thing to do, but you know what it speaks to because you've probably, you've probably seen those viral videos. If they haven't invested in a dialect coach, then it's usually quite poor, unless the person has amazing natural skills. That's true, because because it is something that you'd really need to be trained to do properly and uh, apparently no one's ever cared enough to do that to eric banner <laughs> that's so mean to eric banner and even on hulk remember when he played hulk i remember when he played hulk i quite liked that film at the time i've heard i've heard good things about it actually i even liked the way he used the cgi he's a he's yeah. a really talented director so it doesn't surprise me that a film that he made is good so there you go like i'm not sure if it holds up all these years later but and it has the same 
bloated last act problem. That's every superhero movie that's ever been made. So, we're not talking about Ogly. We're talking about Special Correspondence, a movie that we both watched. <laughs> this is the episode where we try not to talk about the two films we're talking about. Yeah, because they're... But, I mean, in our defense, there's there's not really much to discuss with either of them. Like, especially not Special Correspondence. It's just nothing. It's like, you watch it and it's nothing. Yeah, the characterization is non-existent essentially like you you describe any one of the characters with like two or three words and there's nothing in the film that makes that reductive like yes you capture them in two words because there's nothing else to them like the shrew wife we should talk about the the wife character so so it's introduced early that uh his wife doesn't really have much time for him despite marrying him and they kind of reveal later that Maybe she married him because she thought he would be really successful one day and they'd be living in a bigger house because he's in the entertainment industry. Again, which makes no sense. First of all, because he's just a sound engineer on a radio station. I mean, I don't, I don't, they don't seem compatible in any way. Like, I don't understand why they were married to begin with. Yeah, that's not a gateway to a successful career in the entertainment industry. No. Sound engineers don't jump from that to having mansions. And, like, and if that's the wagon you're going to hitch yourself to, why do it with a sound engineer who is Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Why not any other sound engineer or anyone else in the entertainment industry? They seem to have no, they seem to have no reason to be together and not even a reason for him to like her, let alone her to like him. Can I tell you my favorite uh, line of dialogue relating to, to the character? Mm. Which I wrote this down as a note and I was really confused by it at first until I remembered that it was a line of dialogue. Which is one of the plot points of the film was that Eric Bana uh, has a one night stand with... Um, with Ricky Gervais's wife, uh, which is totally made to be the fault of her and not at all on Ricky and on Eric Pan, like whatsoever. <laughs> just like, just a little more misogyny to add to that, that misogyny pile. But there's a line when they've both been kidnapped uh, where Eric Bana comes clean to Ricky Gervais that he slept with his wife, where he says, the line is literally, I slept with your wife. Eleanor, which seems really redundant to me. Like, <laughs> presumably Ricky Gervais would know that his wife's name is Eleanor, but I don't know. It just speaks to how lazy this this movie is when it comes to writing and everything else. I, I will say that the nadir of the entire film came through her character for me. The uh, the song that she sings, which is torture and not not remotely funny. Why wasn't she pursuing a recording career? Why was she expecting to get rich off? read your face if she if she had this ability and wanted to be so famous and get this exposure it makes no I mean, sense you're saying you want a you want a prequel to social correspondence about early life yes i do <laughs> i kind of love that actually but the person who's given even less to do than her or has just nothing to do in fact is is kelly mcdonald's character whose role in the film is to be a nice alternative to his wife and that's it and uh, she's she gets no good lines. No, I mean not that Ricky Gervais and Eric Bana <laughs> get anything, but well, no lines that maybe Ricky Gervais thought were good. Yes, I don't know if she even had a joke. Like if we can just say that this film had any jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good to think of anything else to say. The dim-witted Spanish characters. It was also kind of racist, too. And that's one of his favorite characterizations. In most of his projects... Dimwitted immigrants? No, no. I mean, it's not necessarily a, a racial thing. Oh, just dimwitted people? Dimwitted people is his favorite character trope for some reason. I mean, The Office doesn't really have anyone who could be defined that way so simply, to its credit. 
but every other project since usually has a character who is hilariously dim-witted to like Ricky Gervais exasperation did you enjoy the action scene where Ricky Gervais guns down the entire Ecuadorian <sighs> gang after he sorts a bunch of cocaine I want to see a Ricky Gervais action movie it's so poorly paced and constructed that it gets to, it gets to the point in the film where you know they have to make the decision that they're actually going to Ecuador because they they can't lie anymore right and this is covered in a montage where they driving down a highway to some shitty song that Gervais has selected they jump on a boat and then it cuts and they're on the shores of Ecuador <laughs> like that's how easy it is for them to get to Ecuador with no passport yeah the majority <laughs> of the montage of them getting there takes place in the United States which is so stupid and uh and then they're they're there they go into a village they have a a brief uh, confrontation with a gang who imprisoned them and, until Ricky Gervais kills them in a cocaine spree. And then and then it cuts to the embassy that they walk into and then they're home. They're getting off a plane. Like that's the entire Ecuadorian... Would, would you think that would that would be like a, a, a big part of this plot? <laughs> it's when they actually go to Ecuador. But like, even the even this speech that Eric Vanellick, which was, is supposed to like resolve the central plotline, is just like cut off from the audience like midway through there's no like through line at all oh and also my least favorite closing line to any movie of all time the deadpool 2-esque closing line yes which is uh do you want to do you want to perform it which character do you want to be uh i want to be uh kelly mcdonald i think i'm the kelly mcdonald of our relationship. all right so you, you you have the first line okay this is like the end of a movie yeah a low budget movie maybe you have to do an English accent when you're doing it. Yeah, I forgot. I did a weird Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, 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 and I have to do Kelly McDonald tried and mostly failed to do an American accent. But better than Eric Banner. Yeah, yeah. This is like the end of a movie. Yeah, a low budget movie, maybe. <laughs> just, I did, that had nothing yeah, no just, bearing on Ricky's it, it was even less like no, the previous I, Honestly, I really didn't really tell much difference between like your normal Australian accent and that you just did. So here's the funny thing. So what they've done is they've lied to all their uh, co-workers about them being in danger and being kidnapped in Ecuador. And we see the emotional effects that this takes on uh, Kelly McDonald's character, who obviously holds a torch for Ricky Gervais. So they're putting off her through this needlessly right and uh and then they get together at the end but she still doesn't know that that was all a lie because they actually came back from ecuador do you think they uh tell her at any point well so here's the thing so what are they going to either he's going to lie about it for the rest of his life with her or admit it that he put her through emotional turmoil for no good reason so that's a good ending it's a happy ending yeah 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 you need, you need to lie to each other to really enjoy any sort of relationship Right. Okay. But yeah, it's terrible. Don't ever watch this. It was worse than Product A. <laughs> <laughs>